This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Next47, the global venture firm backed by Siemens. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On March 27th, the Washington Post traveled to America's tech epicenter, the Bay Area, for the first time to convene the next installment of the Technology 202, a series of conversations about the changing regulatory climate and the relationship between innovation and public policy. In this segment, Stacy Brown Philpot, the CEO of TaskRabbit, one of the most popular on-demand worker platforms, will discuss the future of work, what we mean by sharing economy, and the importance of workforce diversity. Let's listen. Christina Passariello, I'm the technology editor for the Washington Post, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Stacy Brown Philpot, CEO of TaskRabbit. Hi. Hi. So. Let's dive right in. What has changed with TaskRabbit? Um, it's 10 years old now, and you were acquired by IKEA last year. Tell us a little bit what's changed for your business by the acquisition. Well, we've seen a very positive response since the acquisition. Our business has grown significantly. We've doubled the size of the team. We've doubled the number of jobs that are booked on the platform, and we've launched some new countries as well. We've also seen people building real businesses on the platform. Hmm. Our, our IKEA is the world's largest furniture retailer. And as you can imagine, a lot of people don't want to put the furniture together when they buy it. And so, of course, we had a good volume of people using TaskRabbit already, but that has increased to the double digits. We were at about 2%, and now we're at well over 10% of our volume is actually coming through IKEA Furniture Assembly. And markets where we had good performance but not great performance, like New Jersey, for example, we now have taskers who have built businesses mm -hmm. because that's a center of one of their stores. And before, there wasn't a lot of people using TaskRabbit. And now, we've Casey in New Jersey is you know, built his entire business around TaskRabbit Furniture Assembly. So it's been really amazing to see. In addition to that, we're meeting customers at the point of their need, which is in the store. So today, when you go to an IKEA store, you can buy the thing and tell us you want somebody to put it together for you, as opposed to having to book it after the fact online. And so as retail is evolving and that industry is evolving, we're shaping the future of retail too. The in that context, does it make sense for the workers to still to be gig workers and not full-time IKEA employees, for example? It makes sense for people to have the flexibility. And so what happens, what's happened is that we've been able to give over 140,000 taskers the opportunity to decide when and how they want to work. Some people work part-time. And part-time, the definition of that isn't you know, five hours a week or 10 hours a week, in some cases it's 20 hours a week, but that's because their full-time job is only 35 hours a week, mm -hmm. and that job isn't paying as much as they need to make. On TaskRabbit, you can set your own hourly rates, work an extra 20 hours a week, and you can have that flexibility. And I think that's what the independent contractor option continues to offer. What percentage of um, workers who find their work through TaskRabbit do it full-time? Most of our taskers are part-time. Mm -hmm. So there's a small percentage of them that are, that are actually full-time. Most of them like? are part-time. Kind of 10%, 5%? It's around 10% okay. that are, that are full-time. Okay. And full-time is not 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. We define full-time as anything over 30 hours a week. Okay. And the reason is, is other companies who actually look at people for full-time consider that as the metric. For okay. It. Yeah. So we're, we're living in an era of 
really low employment. How does that affect um, how you find workers to do jobs? You know, it's been really easy for us to find people who want to task on TaskRabbit. And the reason is it's, it's, it's an addition, it's a supplement, it's additional income for them. And many of us live in neighborhoods and cities and towns where whatever they're earning, their wages have stagnated for whatever reason. And so this is an opportunity to say, I want to set my own hourly rate, I want to work when I want to work, and I want to make $500 this month or this week. And so when you see that option for flexibility, for determining when and how you want to work, we don't really have a challenge of finding people who are interested in tasking. Does that mean, though, that the wages that people are making in their regular job, if they're using TaskRabbit as, to supplement their income, are just not keeping up with their cost of living? In many cases, that's true. What it also means is that the gig economy is mainstream. I mean, it has your stats at 3 of 10. That probably counts as some version of mainstream. It's mainstream. It's just a way that people now look at their lives. This is the cost of what it takes to live. We have teachers who task because you know what their public school affords them does not give them the options that they want to bring to the classroom. So they task on TaskRabbit so they can buy supplies and buy the things that they need for their classes, for their, for their students. We have people who are retired or semi-retired who go back to tasking or go back to working in some way, and tasking is a nice option for them to stay connected. They find that you know, the isolation of retirement is not something that they want to do, and so they choose to do it so that they can stay connected with other people. And you cite those, the figures of 3 in 10, yet there was a study last year from the Labor Department that said that the percentage of workers who participate in the gig economy now is about the same as it was in 2005. What did you think of that study? Was it surprising? I haven't read the full study. What I know is our business has grown. And what I've seen is that the industry has changed in how we look at what the options are for the future of work. What I know is that the people who stay on TaskRabbit do it because this is a way of life that's just for me. It's possible that that's just not a way of life for everybody. But I think it's important for us to continue to create that way of life for the people who really want it. Let's talk a little bit about pay. Okay. Um, we saw this week there were strikes by Uber and Lyft drivers here in California because some of them are getting paid only a couple cents a mile over what the IRS reimbursement rate is. Um, there's a lot of criticism about gig economy jobs not paying enough. Um, we saw with DoorDash and Instacart them using the tips that clients were giving to the their gig workers and kind of taking those away essentially, a kind of... Um, kind of tip theft. Tell us about how you approach paying um, the taskers. We, we look at creating a meaningful income for our taskers. Our mission is to make everyday life easier for everyday people. Half of that is making sure people who use the service get time back in their lives by building this trusted go-to team or this task management network that is going to be a meaningful source of income for them. To establish that, we let taskers set their own hourly rates. And most of them do not set an hourly rate that's below what they think they should earn for the skill. We also make sure that the lowest hourly wage in a certain city is above the minimum wage in that city. So you can't actually set anything lower than what we think even federally that you can earn. So we've, we've actually focused on that because we think that 
empowerment in that agency is really important to make sure that you're earning what you think you should earn. We've also thought about what kinds of benefits taskers should have mm -hmm. and open up options for them to access those benefits even if we can't provide them on our own. So yeah. let's talk first about the, the price that the taskers set their hourly rate. Do they get to keep that entire, the entire price that they set? What they set, yes. It's not what the client pays, right. but what they set, yes. So there's a supplemental charge that goes to the client uh, which is for the, trans the service. Which is the service fee that we right. charge. Okay. Correct. Um, do, like, what do you think are the risks around these discussions about gig economy workers not getting paid enough? Do you think there needs to be regulation around, you know, a kind of minimum wage for gig workers as well? I think we all have a responsibility for making sure that there's fair and equal pay. And, in, and especially thinking as a lot of these companies are growing and they're getting bigger and many of them are going public, the scrutiny is going to go up. And the scrutiny is not just around the profits that you bring in, but it's the impact that you have on society. And when we think about the impact that we have, it is directly tied to the amount of money that you take home to afford the life that you want to have. And so certainly, if, if the government decides that there needs to be some regulation around that, absolutely, let's bring that. But companies have a responsibility to do it too. Companies have a responsibility to look at the way that they run their businesses to take those things into account. And it's a shared responsibility that I think requires discussion. There are labor laws today that were written in the 1930s that prevent our company from creating the kinds of structures that we think would be most beneficial to taskers in our platform. Okay. I'll remind the audience that we'll take questions from you all if you submit them on Twitter with a, the hashtag post live. Um, let's go back and, and finish on this point of pay though. Um, I mean, it seems apparent that there are companies that are part of the same sector as you, uh, who employ lots of people as gig workers, who aren't fulfilling that responsibility necessarily of paying workers what would be a fair wage. Um, what would you say to them? What kinds of discussions would you have with them? I think it's. I think you invite them to the table for a discussion. I mean, I think that there are there are ways to, to have this conversation. We have a tasker council that we invite to the table for a discussion about what's working in our platform and what's not working in our platform. We open our doors to people from the federal, state, and local levels who are interested from government agencies to talk about what TaskRabbit is doing. And for all of us, we should just invite people to the table for a discussion. And I believe that there's it's human nature to wanna do what's right and we didn't enter this business to make a whole bunch of money and take it from people who really need it. We entered this business to build a platform so that people could earn a meaningful income. I believe that that's true. And so I believe that I would invite people, invite people to the table for a discussion. Okay. I'm curious how you see the upcoming IPOs, the stock market listings of, of uh, Lyft on Friday and Uber probably sometime after that. Um, how do you think those are going to affect the gig economy? Well, I think it's exciting. I think it's validating, number one, that this is a sector that's going to exist. It's validating that this is a sector that's going to be important to the future of our society around the world. And I think it's going to raise the awareness about the importance of shaping the way that things work. It's going to invite conversation. It's also going to invite scrutiny. I sit on the board of HP and Nordstrom. I sit on the board of public companies. That's going to invite discipline. It's going to invite... a, a 
expectation of transparency and an expectation of scrutiny, which I actually think will be helpful and healthy in shaping how these companies will grow into the future. I'm excited for both of them. <laughs> Do you think that it's going to make it harder for the workers, um, for the gig, gig workers, uh, because th these companies are going to be under greater pressure to stem their losses? I hope not. I hope what then happens is that transparency allows for us to see here's what it takes to really build a sustainable business and also help people afford an income, a meaningful income. So what kinds of laws do we need to change and shape? Should we be offering portable benefits? How do we offer portable benefits? How should companies share in the responsibility of portable benefits? What should the government actually do to support those things? Those are the kinds of dialogues that I hope that the transparency of being in a public market will actually create, drive, and shape. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you think about those portable benefits, because it's true, so much of the benefits that we get from healthcare to retirement are very tied up with employment. And so gig economy workers often don't get to benefit from that. Well, right now, that's exactly the issue. Many of our taskers will choose to keep a job that they're already in to keep their benefits, even though earning money on TaskRabbit pays a higher hourly wage rate for them. So if they were able to port that, they could then structure their lives in a different way, potentially earn more money, and still have the benefits that they need to sustain their life, whether it's workers' compensation or saving for retirement in the future. One of the things that we want to be able to offer is more training. We want to be able to offer the option for if I want to learn how to drill a hole into a brick wall and I don't know how to do that, it's a, we do it today and we have ambassadors who do it, but what if that was more structured? How many more mm -hmm. people could upskill in a much more efficient and effective way? These are the types of things that I think would be valuable and effective, especially as we grow our business and try to meet the margin and profitability requirements that are expected of a public company. So right now, do taskers, are they able to get any health benefits or retirement benefits through their TaskRabbit work? They're not, but we do partner with companies that offer those options. There are companies out there that offer 401k benefits, retirement benefits, healthcare benefits for independent contractors, and we make those options available to them. Okay. I'm curious, what percentage of your taskers are men versus women? Oh, wow. It depends on the category. Okay. Uh, we, our primary category is there's a lot of tough women out there. <laughs> uh, it really depends on the category. And so it's, it, it tends to be um, a lot of men in most of our handyman categories, but there are a lot of women uh -huh. who are handy women who are amazing at what they do, but it really does depend on the category. But what's overall? Is, it's what about 60% men and 40% okay. women. Okay. Yeah. And are there, are there ways in which women, I'm thinking in particular around parental leave, you know, that's a, a big issue for women. It's a, something we're talking a lot about um, in the Valley these days with startups. Um, it feels like women might be particularly penalized from not having those kinds of benefits when they need parental leave. Is that something you've thought about? You know, we actually have a lot of women who are on leave or have chosen to work inside the home with their families task on TaskRabbit mm. because it gives them the flexibility to earn income in the hours where they can and the opportunity to be at home with their family. So I don't actually see those things as opposing forces. I mm. actually see us as a viable option. Okay. We have, a, we have a question from Sharose on Twitter. Um, what task is the most prevalent on the platform? 
Well, recently it's been IKEA Furniture Assembly, and that's just okay. because we did an acquisition and everyone keeps talking about it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's moving season. Yeah. And people, most people move between March and September. So we expect that seasonally lots of people will want to use TaskRabbit to get help moving. Okay. Yep. Um, one of the differences that we see between uh, TaskRabbit and companies like Uber and Lyft is that Uber and Lyft are developing the kinds of technology, the self-driving technology, that will one day make their drivers obsolete if they're successful. Um, how do you see the role of like human work in what you do, and do you see a possibility for some of the tasks that are done right now to be done in an automated way? You know, we've been investing before AI became like this really wonderful thing that everybody loves to talk about, just in building our algorithm to make a perfect match. Our objective is that if you go on TaskRabbit and you want to hire somebody to do something for you, you find the best possible person to do it as fast as possible. And so that's been our investment today. How do we make it more efficient, more effective, more easy for you to find the person that you want to do? Over time, I don't think we replace empathy and judgment with automation. We're gonna need somebody who comes in and says, you know what? that TV is this far away from the couch and here's how high you should put it up on the wall. I don't see a machine doing that. What I do think is that there will be tools, that there will be opportunities for taskers to engage with technology so that they are better able to tell us where that TV goes or the refrigerator will make the API call that like the filter mm. needs to be replaced and there's an automated thing that shows up on your to-do list in TaskRabbit that says, I'm gonna show up and do that for you. So it's gonna be an enabler of allowing our taskers to make the human connection, provide the service, and let the technology support them in that process. Okay. Um, relatedly, uh, how do you use technology to vet your taskers, and um, what kind of vetting goes on before you bring somebody onto the platform? So all of our taskers go through uh, background check and a vetting process that makes sure that they, you know, their backgrounds and they don't have a criminal background. Also, that they are who they say they are. We want to make sure they can get paid. Do they have a valid way of, you know, accepting payment from us? And that's just part of the registration process now. Okay. Um, but does the algorithm, do you use the algorithm to make decisions about who can be a tasker and who can't without necessarily a human review? No, all, everybody goes through an application, and then once they complete that application, then there's a, we have a team of people mm -hmm. who approve those applications, okay. and then you go through a process of showing up at a session, at, whether it's an online session or an in-person session okay. that allows you into the marketplace. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do you anticipate that with uh, increasing jobs being automated that the gig economy is gonna grow and with the, in particular with the kinds of tasks that exist through TaskRabbit? I absolutely is gonna grow. When you think about the task management network that we're building, for, it's different for everybody. For some people it's when I'm moving, for some people it's my Ikea, it's, for some people it's you know, cleaning my house because my mother-in-law is coming to visit and there's that room we never clean, but you know, she's coming and so someone has to clean it. And so all of these things are these, these things around your house that you just need to do. And there's always gonna be a world where we've got things that we need to do. And as we grow our platform, these are the types of things that we will continue to be able to offer. I, I'm wondering if Marie Kondo has been very good for your business. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> I, I heard she has organization VC backing projects. now too, so it feels like, you know. 
something going on there. Another question um, we have from Twitter, John asks, what's the most obscure task you've seen on TaskRabbit? Oh, obscure. Um, I would say the impersonation task. Ah, there was the okay. birthday party in LA and the best friend couldn't come. So she ah. hired a tasker, taught her all kinds of things about her best friend and sent her to the party. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. In case you I can't go to your best friend's birthday party. It feels like that could be a job that's automated one day. You get a robot to do that. Maybe. Anyway. Um, one last question from, from Priya on Twitter asks, how do we get more black women in tech at the decision-making table as CEOs and CTOs in the industry? We just got to go for it. I, I um, am so thrilled when I see black women raising money there was a great article in the USA Today that talked about all of the black female entrepreneurs who are raising money. Vijay talked about, she talked about how there's this wealth creation gap that's there. It is even more so for African-American women. I would love to see more black women founding companies, starting companies, joining companies, and staying in the game. And that's why I do the talks that I do. That's why I talk about the importance of this. That's why I support black female founders, and that's why I represent TaskRabbit, because this is how the business that we're creating is enabling these opportunities. So. Stacy, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. Thank you. On to the next segment. <laughs> Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com. <laughs>